Welcome to this special episode of the Teaching and Learning Buzz, a podcast by the Center for Teaching and Learning at Georgia Tech. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Pope Ruark. In the midst of social distancing this spring due to the COVID-19 crisis, CETL held its first webinar on April 7th. CETL faculty members, Dr. Vincent Spezzo and Dr. Carol Sabino Sullivan joined me to facilitate a discussion about some of the behind the scenes work of remote teaching, such as managing faculty time, integrating TAs in a remote environment, providing students timely feedback, and taking care of yourself as a faculty member at this time. We were joined by three Georgia Tech faculty members with extensive teaching experience in online programs, and each of whom has been recognized by students as an excellent teacher through the Thank a Teacher Recognition Program. We were joined by Dr. Polo Chow of the College of Computing, Dr. Mike Schatz from the College of Sciences, and Dr. Joel Sokol from the College of Engineering. In this Buzz episode, we share with you that webinar conversation recorded live during the event. Thank you for listening and stay safe and well. All right, so now on to our uh, panel introductions. Today we are joined by the three professors uh, with experience in teaching and distance environments. Uh, Polo Chow, Assistant Professor of Computational Science and Engineering. Joel Sokol, Professor of Industrial and Systems Engineering. And Mike Schatz, Professor of Physics. Thank you uh, all for joining us today. Could each of you just briefly share uh, your prior experience with teaching online? I will start first. Uh, so I'm an associate professor in the College Computing, and I've been teaching um, data and visual analytics, which is a, a class in the OMS analytics program, and recently also offered to OMS CS as well. So we have about uh, 1,000 students uh, this past semester. Mike? Okay. Um, so, Joel and I were like waiting on each other. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. I just want to say, uh, first of all, hope everyone is uh, safe and uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, yeah, so I've been teaching um, in an online environment actually starting back to 2013 when MOOCs first burst on the scene. And so we have in the School of Physics at that time put together um, a introductory physics uh, uh, online presence, including a laboratory. And then from that, it has evolved over time to using it on campus at times for doing a flipped blended learning and now uh, teaching a fully online settings uh, through mainly the soup program in the summer and then also to selected uh, international programs, uh, Georgia Tech Lorraine over the last uh, couple of years. Um, and I'm Joel Sokol, I'm an ISYE and I'm also a director of the Master of Science and Analytics program. Um, I've been teaching in that online Master of Science and Analytics program since fall, since summer actually, 2017. Um, every semester, fall, spring, summer, um, up to 12 or 1300 students uh, sometimes in a course. Um, so uh, that's uh, sort of on the large end, I guess. Well, thank you all for being with us. We're really excited to have you and to learn from you today. So I'm gonna dive in with our first question. Um, we know that we all didn't have very long to plan to move on um, to our remote teaching duties. So it was pretty much a, a surprise and you know, folks who didn't necessarily know how to teach online have moved remotely and are trying to rethink their courses. We've got some time under our belts now, um, but you know as experienced online teachers that teaching remotely can tend to take up more time, uh, personal time and work time, than it would a face-to-face -face 
course for, for whatever reasons. So what are some concrete tips that you can offer to the instructors um, on this call to help them manage their time during their first online course the rest of the semester and maybe even planning for summer courses? Right, so what tips do you have for folks in terms of managing their time? And Polo, we'll go ahead and start with you if that's okay. Oh, sure. Yeah, so um, I know there are a lot of tips, so I'll probably start with three, which I found really, really helpful. And actually, some other tips I actually learned from others, uh, for example, with Joe. Um, so the number one tip is that um, I think we would want to start small, simple, and gentle. So as in, we don't, we shouldn't try to aim to reproduce everything that we have been doing on campus and just, okay, we're not to replicate. So usually that doesn't work because a lot of things just even, you know, you know just, having more students and then I'm making now is that remotely a lot of things just doesn't work. So I think I think we should just set the bar to be or well, not to reproduce actually everything. So decide on what makes sense and then go from there like rapidly adapting. Uh, so that's number one. Um, and then number two, I was, uh, personally, I found it really helpful. I think a lot of you who are, who are teaching now remotely has found that it's like actually preparing as much as we can before class is helpful. I know a lot of uh, instructors maybe in the beginning was, oh, we're going to do like Bujin slide and everything. So it, it can work, but also I think from experience now, we can uh, sometimes students just don't have the same um, like good internet connection that you might expect everyone would have. And sometimes because they're now moving back to home, so their time zone difference and sometimes even like like 12 hours away. So so it just doesn't work to do it in in the real time. So so that number six suggestion is that we can record some of the videos, like even uh, if they are shorter than what you might want to cover, that, that is fine. Actually, a lot of times when you uh, record things versus like delivering things live, we found that you can usually do it in, in probably like half the time that you would like in class. And that's perfectly fine. And what that means is that you can have some of these videos you can pre-share with students and during the regular class time so we can make it a little bit more optional because there's just students that who cannot join. Um, and then you can have the regular class time um, as a Q&A discussion. So that's number number two, um, kind of preparing as much as we can. I know it's not always easy, but I think that's a good thing to do. And then number three, I think, is uh, try delegate as much as possible. Um, I know some of, some of uh, you have TA support, so definitely uh, try to work with a TA and, of course, develop a, a good understanding to uh, make sure the TA is not overwhelmed as well. But I um, mean, having extra hands to help, like extra people to help you, I think that that's very important. For example, personally, I, I this semester I have uh, uh, two TAs to help me uh, with we call like accommodation, we got special accommodation leads. So I mean, um, they will be in charge helping and keeping track of uh, which students might need extra time and how much time they they, they might need. And at at turn out to be really really helpful because previous semester I was the person who was doing all of it. That's really really overwhelming. And actually, Joe suggested okay maybe you should consider doing that. And then well I don't feel really comfortable. But then I tried this and I said okay that, that life changing. So I think that's number number three like delegate as much as possible. Yeah, I'll stop here. And uh, Mike or Joel, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I'll go ahead. Um, so, so I would say first of all uh, to all the instructors who had this like uh, that you know rapid conversion, be good to yourself. That is, don't beat up on yourself for all the different things that and how very different it's it's feeling now for you. I'll just say I'll speak for myself, but I suspect also for Joel and polo that when we got into this uh, we actually had preparation time and we had time and it was enormous amount of time we uh, all, all spent I can speak for myself just getting ready to move to this online environment and even then I'm sure I'll speak for myself I was under the gun with deadlines then too but nothing like what many of you who are teaching online now have had to experience so I'll just say 
um, just to emphasize what Paula said, be good to yourself or to say start simple. Um, you know, uh, doing something like, you know, um, just simply, um, you know, this preparation, I'll just emphasize or just add to um, what Paulo said. If you can if you can do some preparation in advance, I'll just say for myself, when I prepare a lecture uh, for an online, I actually have I write a script. Now, you can't do this all the time when you're doing it right now in the heat of the, you know, or in the heat of battle. But to have in mind that um, maybe set some sm some simple goals, small goals, maybe I'll, I'll do a piece of this that I'm going to prepare that's in a sort of uh, pre-prepared fashion, and then I'll build on that. Have in mind that sort of over long term, you're just going to add more and more pieces to that. Um, and um, yeah, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. All right. Um, Today, so yeah, I think uh, I agree with a lot of what was said. I think since I'm in industrial and systems engineering, I'm going to talk like an industrial engineer for a second. Um, and say that I oh no sorry I think I froze for a second um, but I, I think in a lot of ways we're the most constrained resource in this system right now when we're teaching and so it's it's really important to consider your time budget just like we would consider budgets for for grants and anything else and if there's a task that really would I mean, ideally you'd like to do, but it's a small learning benefit for a large time expense. Just forget it. You don't have to be perfect. No one's expecting us to be perfect. Um, and and keep in mind that we have our time budget and, and we really need to stick to it. Um, I think like Polo said, delegation is very important, not just to your TAs, but there are things that you can delegate to students. For example, in, in my course, there's no way, no matter how many TAs I get, that we can grade 1,200 homeworks. So I have the students peer grade each other. Um, and, and a few of them, to be honest, will squawk at that at first, but letting them know that, that there's actually an educational benefit too, that, that they get to see each other's approaches and, and think critically about them. Um, they they really seem to respond well to that and it takes a huge burden off of you and your ta when you might need to be doing other things um and then my my last suggestion would just be um be transparent and communicative um so students i mean our students are smart they know that this is an, an unusual situation that we were just as unprepared as they were for it and so as long as we're transparent and and we say to them, um, sorry, I froze again. Um, but as as long as we are transparent and say, look, um, we're doing this because there's not enough time to do it a different way, or you know, I should have done this a different way. I made a mistake. This is my first time. I'll fix it. They're fine with that, um, and and it it shows. I can tell you from experience, having made lots of mistakes, that it shows up very well in COS evaluations too. They don't hammer you for the mistake, they reward you for admitting the mistake. So those would be my, my three biggest suggestions. Thank you for that, everyone. I'm curious about, um, building on what you just said, Joel, about setting the expectations for students in terms of your availability. 
um, you know, sometimes online teaching gets that, that rap of having, you have to be always on for your students, especially now our students are everywhere um, across the globe. So what advice do you have for helping students know when you will be available, but also, you know, keeping that, that time schedule for yourself as well? Yeah, so I, I think here too, they're, they're understanding people. Um, and so as long as, as we set our, our expectations um, and what they can expect of us, um, they'll be fine with that. If, if we say, um, like, I'll be available from one to two o'clock every day, then if they send you a question at 2.30, they understand they're gonna have to wait almost 24 hours to get an answer. Um, if you say, I'll answer all Piazza posts in 24 hours or 48 hours or whatever it is, um, as long as you set that guideline, um, they'll tend to be, to be okay with that. Um, I think where they, get, where they get less happy and more antsy is if you haven't said anything, um, and then they wonder, well, when is this thing gonna get, gonna get answered? Is my professor even there? Um, but as long as you stay communi communicating on some regular schedule, um, I think they'll be okay with that. So make sure, make sure you and or your TA are visible. Your TA is a fine proxy for this. Um, make sure that, that one or both of you are visible and communicate, but it doesn't have to be all the time. Please don't feel like every time a question comes in, you have to be there and answer it. Um, I've gotten lucky. I, so it might sound weird to say I'm lucky to have 1,200 students this semester, but that also means I have an army of TAs, and so there could almost always be someone there to answer questions. If you don't have that, don't feel like you have to do the work of 26 people. Um, just take an hour or so a day to answer questions, let them know that'll be the hour to do it, and then the rest of the time. All right. Well, thank you uh, for that. And I think that actually, Joel, kind of leads into our next question a little bit. Um, and that question was, uh, you know, we realize that how everything has gone has changed. And this includes how you work with TAs in the classroom. So for many of our professors who do have a couple TAs um, and have made the switch to, on, to remote teaching now, what are some suggestions you have for best ways to get those TAs involved? What are the things that they do best uh, online to help you? And Joel, if you want to expand on anything you've said, uh, we can start with you. Um, yeah, so it, I mean, in some sense, it really depends on the TA's skill set. Some are really good at answering questions. Some are really good at taking the administrative burden off of you. Some are really good with the technology. Um, so if it, if it takes you a long time to upload videos or something, you can just send it off to the TA and let the TA do that. So really kind of get a feel for what your TA is good at um, and let your TA take that burden off of you, especially whatever you're not good at and, and the TA is good at. Um, let the TA take that burden off of you. Uh, remember that your TA can only work 13 hours a week, um, but you might even ask for student volunteers if you want, because um, it's not like the students are off doing all these other outside activities that they usually do besides class. And so if you have a decent sized class, there's probably someone who would be happy to volunteer to take some task from you and the TA, um, as long as it doesn't involve grading anybody else and, and you could get some volunteers that way. 
add to that. So um, one thing that in the, in our online course we try to pay attention to is the TAs and thinking about them as not just TAs, but actually in the way we have it set up in physics is to try to think of that, well, there are co-instructors and uh, co-facilitators. And so setting aside some time, however many TAs you have, but setting aside some time to actually interact, support them, provide, a, I'll say, to the extent, again, possible, you do the best you can, uh, provide some professional development for them to, you know, to, you know, so for example, we will, we'll have, uh, we will meet regularly together with the TAs, uh, with the, as co-instructors and, and talk about what went well uh, in the past week, what, uh, it's, uh, what's upcoming, and then just sort of, uh, and then also what uh, I have done along with the, some other faculty is to check in with and step in with TAs, but not into their, when they're in the setting interacting with students, but let's say opening a, a separate channel, viewing them uh, and, and that not actually participating, but actually communicating them through say something like Slack while they're um, in, engaged with students and try to help uh, provide some some advice again in the lines along the lines of professional development and that you know I'll just echo having the the TAs bringing them on and and you know not have it be all on yourself as the uh, instructor of record but to to have um, to help develop the TA so that they become more capable. And in time, as the course progresses, you can see that they become, they develop a rapport with students too. That's the other aspect that we've seen is that as part of their um, online presence, students start to become familiar with the, the, the TAs they interact with. And that also, I think, helps with the, just a general um, operation and uh, feeling in the course. So I think that's an important thing to have in mind. And uh, Paula, did you want to add anything else to this? I think they said everything I wanted to say. So uh, maybe to as a high level, I just I think think of uh, TA as as you, like we use someone you collaborate with, and they give a lot of feedback. Um, certainly helpful for me. Like sometimes, oh oh, I didn't know no student had this problem, or like I didn't know there's a better way. So so I, I think we can learn a lot from our TAs too because they are really uh, interacting a lot with students. Yeah. I'm just going to pop in and ask one question. Um, how are your TAs doing in terms of um, not being overwhelmed themselves? How are you kind of supporting them in that way? Um, if many of them are taking classes or the research is on hold, how are you kind of supporting them? Um, or how are they feeling at this time? Yeah, maybe I can I can take this one first. And yeah, I, I think uh, during difficult time, um, being understanding, developing understanding, and that means that checking with checking in with them, sometimes personally. For example, I use Microsoft Teams um, and all my TAs are on there, like the I think same, same thing as Joe, like about 20, 30 uh, TAs. And um, yeah, and, and some do run into issues like TAs themselves, maybe they are sick, for example, and, and just develop a system. And that means we've been writing, writing them, sending a message, how are you doing? Are you, are, you, are you doing fine? Are you recovered? Are you doing so, so those matter and just encourage them to to share um, and um, sometimes I think a lot a lot of TAs that they have a good work ethic as so well. They're responsible for the for the class and they feel that okay, well, I I need to probably sacrifice my time or maybe I help and just want to communicate that very explicitly. That's not the case. So help always come first, families and personal. So so I think that just just repeatedly saying that 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 is helpful because there are um i think some of, including some of my students too like the research students sometimes the first time you say it 
or mention it to them, they may not be very comfortable with it. But then as you say it more and also to say it to other students, sometimes it's helpful to say to other TAs and then and then the TAs will, oh, okay, so the other TA actually responded. And then so that kind of together over time that, that helped. Um, that, that's my experience. Um, just, just, just like in-person interaction, um, try to do it more and do it consistently. And, and then uh, that would encourage the A to, to, uh, to share more. Yeah. So we all chatted last week and um, you mentioned that reviewing and responding to student work does take more time. And we just kind of talked about, you know, you can't grade 1200 homework. So, you know, what does that process look like? Um, so what does work for you and how can faculty provide quick and effective feedback to students? Um, so I'm going to throw that to Mike, but Joel can kind of maybe be thinking about how um, folks can implement maybe some peer review like you talked about. Mike, what are your thoughts? Yeah. yeah, I would just say, I mean, Joel basically said it at the outset, and that's something that we use in the physics course is this uh, using the, the peer review. And um, there are, the, the, it is uh, is a functionality that's uh, embedded in Canvas. You can take it and use it. It has its limitations, but it can be um, uh, usefully employed. Um, I will say our experience in doing the peer review, and it is also, Joel mentioned, there's some blowback a, a little bit sometimes from students about, well, having students grade my work. There's wor There are concerns and worries about that. Um, some of the things that w you can do is that, that, that I'll just suggest, as a suggestion is to, to provide some sample work that uh, students can um, practice with, get some feedback on, so for example, when we provide um, students in our in our course grade uh, peer grade the labs, but prior to that we provide a sample lab reports, and all lab reports are basically screencasts as videos. Um, the, the students are provided with sample lab reports that uh, that we as instructors have graded, and then they can evaluate and then compare how they went about evaluating with what the instructors and uh, uh, experts have evaluated and have feedback on that before um, uh, uh, tackling the evaluations of their, of their peers uh, in the classroom. So that's one suggestion. Again, all this stuff takes time to develop over time. It's not it's something you do instantly, but to maybe to have that in mind, peer grading, um, provide sample work to have some feed to, to, to give uh, students some possibility for practice on evaluation and before they actually evaluate. And then also the message that Joel had was uh, this is also part of the student's professional development, not just uh, um, learning the, the science content, but also uh, learning how to critically in a constructive way evaluate the uh, science and scientific work of of others, and that's a that's a valuable skill. So that's partly what this is a peer grading provides an opportunity for too. And I agree, giving the sample, giving some sort of sample solutions is is a really good idea. I actually use the actual solutions, um, so I'll just hand those out and say now go peer grade each other with this in mind. Um, and I think what what really helps on the student side is having sort of a high level grading scale. Um, especially for homework and things, it doesn't matter if you got an 84 or an 86 or an 85, and, and that's not what you want the students obsessing over. Um, just something high level, like if you kind of vanilla got the right answer, that's worth 90 points. If you went above and beyond and got the right answer, maybe that's 100. 
if you gave it a good shot but didn't quite get it, that's a 75. If you threw something together, sorry, I, I think I froze up again. Um, so if, if you throw something together that's obviously wrong, maybe that's a 50. And if you did nothing, that's a zero. Um, and, and just give them this high level grading scale where it's a lot easier to pick which one is the right grade. Um, and then they can concentrate on giving a little bit of constructive feedback instead of worrying about what the exact number is that, that they want to put in as a grade. Um, and then, uh, sorry, one other thing is, is to Canvas lets you do this easily, let them peer grade more than one. Um, so, for example, if everybody peer grades three and you take the median of those three grades to use, um, it's a more reliable indicator and and it leads to a lot fewer complaints from students. You're still going to have to review some because no matter what, there are going to be a few students who complain and say, I think I should have gotten this grade instead of that grade. Um, but it really cuts down on the, the grading work that you and the TAs have to do. Any thoughts, Polo, that you'd like to add? Uh, no, nothing to it. Yes, I think I think they are the expert here. I, I don't. I do some peer grading, but not not as much uh, as they have. Yeah. So, how do you, you process that? If you're not peer grading. Are you using another strategy for your really really large classes? No, I I used yeah. I do. I, I um currently there's only one out of multiple deliverables in my course that I do peer grading, and as Joe said, we already implemented like multiple graders. And it would take median. I can reshare the formula. I think an important thing um, is that uh, when we move online, the online communication is really the the only way to to uh, to work with students. So so that means we want to be very explicit about what we do. So it also means like for example, oh, uh, each person will be graded by three people, and we're going to take median. And and those need to be communicated even before they do that right? because mm -hmm. otherwise they might be they feel anxious. And actually, the same idea can apply in general. So anything as much as we can, uh, we write out all those uh, kind of uh, rubrics and guidelines and everything beforehand so that they don't they don't get that's the thing about online versus in person. In person, you go at a classroom and then in the beginning of class, you're going to do announcements and all those. But now we don't have that, so so kind of need to need to adapt that way. Yeah. Thank you. I like two of the things that I'm hearing too are kind of norming with your students um, so that they have they can see maybe what the solution is or how to approach that. And also kind of rubrics making the case even Joel your example of having you know this is a 90 this is an 85 this is a 75. Those are things that might help us grade more quickly as well right or um, give us more time to offer students feedback in different ways rather than haggling over those those points and I think that's important for at any time when we're looking at um, looking at grading or, or providing students direct feedback. All right, well, thank you. Uh, so far, we've been getting some really great tips and tricks and advice for remote teaching from our panelists. Uh, but at this point, we're actually going to be sending our attendees into the digital breakout rooms. So you can form a question in your smaller groups. All right, well, welcome back. Um, hope that uh, your discussions were good. What to do now is to hear from each of the groups um, to find out um, what question you, you had for the panel. So I'll go ahead and um, call out uh, the, the breakout room number. Um, and if the representative from your group would unmute yourself and go ahead and ask your question, um, then, uh, okay, so I'm, I'm seeing from Jennifer that, uh, 
that her group wasn't quite ready yet. Um, the breakout rooms rooms have repre- have disappeared for me. Hon. I can figure out what room you're in, Jennifer, so I can give you a little bit of extra time there. Okay, you're not in group number one. So we'll go ahead and start with group number one, which was the group that had um, Frederick and Stacy and Natalie and Chawa and Jelena in it. So if one of you wouldn't mind unmuting yourself and asking your question, that'd be great. Okay, this is Stacy. I was in that group um, with um, with my fine colleagues. We actually talked about what is most what is the most challenging aspect of teaching remotely that we're currently facing. Um, and um, we have um, a couple of um, folks that are teaching now, and some that are preparing for summer and fall. And so um, we talked about not only challenges, but also maybe some suggested strategies moving forward. Uh, I think, you know, as far as challenges are concerned that we're currently facing, um, the sheer volume, right, the quick response, as you all talked about um, earlier, um, that we had to move to an online platform uh, was particularly um, stressful, but also, you know, we view it as an opportunity, right, an opportunity to grow. And I think for me personally as well, it's been an opportunity for me to look at different technologies and how I can incorporate them in my existing, you know, in-person classes as well. Um, For example, you know, uh, with Microsoft Teams um, and utilizing that platform for existing teams and sharing insights on notebooks and things like that. Um, but also, you know, with the quick response um, in the learning aspect, so, you know, the sheer volume of work is we had to learn, right, and um, we had to adjust our syllabus, but also the consideration of our student needs um, as they came back um, from spring break um, and, um, you know, navigating this new reality, right, and the complexity of all of that. Um, so that has been a challenge. Um, I think, you know, also time to prepare, right, um, was a particular challenge because um, we didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare. Um, but again, you know, focusing on some key aspects that are going to be successful and doing them well moving forward uh, was something that we talked about. Um, another challenge was the project-based learning um, and converting some project-based type of activities and what those look like online. Um, and so um, we presented, um, one of our group members presented that particular challenge and um, looking for ways to, you know, to incorporate that and adjust that moving forward. So, Would um, one of the panelists like to respond to anything, any of the, the points that Stacy brought up? Yeah, I, I can probably uh, mention that uh, I talked about the point of the project. So I think I'm the crazy one. Um, I have project component for my 1,000 people class, and each group is 46 students. So that means we are 100, um, 150, 180 groups. And before I, t- I taught, starting teaching online, all my colleagues said you should never do group project, but I now can tell you that it can actually work. Um, and to make it work is to just write out a lot of procedures and also have a lot of check in place. So it can work, it can work well. Actually last semester, we don't have any group issues at all, which is amazing. I can I can share some of the reason why. I think many things like for online, hard to do project online is that the students, even in person, it's tricky sometimes. I 
some students may not speak up or they're more shy, even harder on that. I think that's that's the main difficulty. And also sometimes you just don't know how to give feedback so you need to give feedback to each other. Um, so specific uh, uh, suggestions and that I would give is one is uh, doing a peer evaluation. And this is different from the grading and so on, just to, for team members to give each other feedback. That is really, really helpful. And actually, that's also, I think, the main reason why the number of uh, team issues had go down to zero last semester, because um, you can do it optionally. So you don't need to factor that into the grade. You can say, well, really want this to, to help your team members because we want to discover any potential issue as early as possible. And um, so we have been using the, I think, uh, free license that Georgia Tech doing, but that might change. It's called CATME, C-A-T-E-M-E. Um, not sure if it's going to continue in summer or the fall, but uh, it was great uh, because it already has some preset uh, questions there that you can just enter students' email address and you can do it in Teams and then the email just go to all of them. Um, so that was really, really helpful. Um, yeah, so that's one concrete thing. And then the, the other uh, kind of suggestion is just to to, to break the, the project into smaller chunks. So have them smaller deliverable over the semester rather than have these like big like end of term semester because by the time uh, the end of semester come up and then there's team issues then you just cannot resolve them uh, so that was also my main main concern in the beginning and uh, over over time we went okay so we just put more check in the in the middle and it can work and now i can tell you uh, it can work for 170 teams yes yeah. all right so then let's go ahead and um hear from jennifer levy is your your group ready with your question Sure. Hi. Let me see if I can put my video on. I'm sorry. My son's playing saxophone in the background. I don't know if that's coming through or not. But, um, I need to get a headset. So um, we, we talked a little bit about um, being interactive. I have a, a few VIP teams that are working well this semester um, in terms of this, the students are, are still giving their presentations. And it, that seemed to have converted pretty seamlessly once 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 we figured out how to how to run the session um, but in my more traditional style class um, I have had issues with um, with it being interactive and getting the students to respond and ask questions and you know I'll ask a question and no one will answer and um, we didn't really talk about this in our group but I, I am curious um, I've, I've heard people talking about how um, how Requesting that students share video um, can, uh, I guess, highlight um, or, or put put pressure on students to share things that they, maybe they don't want to share, like what their house looks like, or um, or they might have bandwidth issues that are keeping them from um, from being able to to share video efficiently. And so, um, my question is how how do you, how do we encourage um, I mean, I love the aspects of, of a synchronous experience, but how, how can we encourage that without putting undue um, pressures on our students to be in places where they are able to do that or feel comfortable doing that? Great question, thank you. Anybody like to jump in? Uh, I'll say a little bit about it, uh, kind of the experience in, um... Uh, in the online physics. When we do problem-solving sessions, uh, we have it in small groups, and um, 
the key there is so and it, some some students will turn their videos off but actually it tends to be the situation where they end up not having the the video on and they'll have some kind of like shared space they're working on so for example within canvas um and now this is uh uh, I, I'm not less familiar with blue jeans, but certainly in the default conferencing facility, one blue button, um, uh, they have a shared whiteboard. And um, the key there is they, they, they actually uh, talk to one another and sort of sketch on that, that, that common workspace. Um, and they have something that they're, they're sort of gathered around, but then they're talking. The thing that you, I, I don't know if you had this experience, Jennifer, but if they're, if they're sort of like sitting there and not doing anything and they have their mics on, but they, they, the key thing is to get them, get them conversing. So I don't know what your setting is. If you have a, if you're giving a lecture and then you're asking questions to a large group of students, this, this advice probably isn't so useful, but in, let's say you assign students to a breakout and I'm not sure if this is doable in, in, in blue jeans, but certainly within the one blue button, then they can, um, work in small groups around the whiteboard talking about, let's say, a particular context of physics, some problem they're working on. And that takes time for it to develop, too. Initially, they don't want to speak to each other. So that's uh, the role of a facilitator to encourage that. So um, over time, it, 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 it definitely uh, gets better. Yeah, I, I would add uh, for online events as effective is to encourage more uh, text-based communication. I mean, not that like purely text, but encourage students to write things down. Um, because like for online, especially with students working in teams or in groups, um, information get lost very easily. So, so for example, like I would encourage them to have a shared document. Like this might be obvious, but for uh, students doing it the first time, I think it's important to remind them like have a shared document. Uh, write things down and you can example it's explicit example right write down just meeting date meeting time who are there and then some bullet points and and then the the reason for doing that is because the next time you to meet again you remember like from the from the record like what what was discussed so that that turned out to be helpful and I think same thing for um, uh, interaction between TAs and the students during like during office hour um, we actually encourage it. it certainly works well for the for the OMS uh, online master's uh, uh, degree and uh, for campus too. We found out that's helpful because um, sometimes just having things written down and allow TA to think about it a little bit and also allow the students to be able to refer back to those written artifacts. It turned out to be really helpful. So I would say encourage not to replace like solely doing text based but encourage them to write more things down so that things don't get lost. Yeah, yeah I would I would piggyback on that and say uh, even even for lecture, <coughs> excuse me, even for lectures, um, I think it's really easy when you're just watching a, a video um, to sit there like you're watching TV or watching a movie and kind of be passive rather than taking notes like they would if they were watching you in person. Um, and I think reminding your students that, that the video is just like lecture, they should be taking notes, they just have the advantage that they can go back and rewind you if they need to. Um, I think that's helpful to get them more in that mode rather than I'm just watching TV and it happens to be about chemistry. Um, and then to your other point about what they might or might not want to show, I think we need to be really flexible. Um, anybody who doesn't want to show what their room looks like or what their house is like or whatever else, um, we 
we shouldn't, and it may even be that we can't, I don't know, um, require them to do that. Thank you, everybody. And we have um, one more group um, who we haven't heard from yet. It was a group that I, that had Emily Weigel and Enid Steinbert, Jennifer Singh, Angela Yu. I think maybe uh, there was somebody else that got moved in there because your original group um, didn't have enough people. Was somebody from that group share your question? Okay, hi there. Um, I could post one of the questions that I have um, from breakout room number four. Um, I think Paulo did mention about, um, or I think it was um, Michael who had talked about doing online labs. Um, and would one of you have some feedback on how to make sure that the students are watching the demonstration videos that's that's being put out there? Uh, my concern right now is even with the, all the tools that's out there, I don't see too many too much participation from the students. Um, again, lab notes are out of the question. Then you know people are not taking lab notes anymore. But even uh, having them to watch, I see maybe five percent of the class is watching through the analytics. If I check the videos, what feedback or what suggestions would you give to make sure that the students are doing a little bit of remote hands-on, if you may call it, uh, um, to help them gain more insights. Thank you. Um, I can say a little bit about that in the context of um, uh, the labs. Um, so we don't have demonstration uh, videos per se, except to say, um, uh, but I, maybe the closest thing, Part of what we do in the in the physics lab is a computational modeling part. That's that that the students need to, or you know, that's a part of engaging of the entire performance of the lab is modeling uh, some observation that they go out and make a measurement of, oftentimes with a device they have like their cell phone, um, and a piece that you know. So so the key thing is is that if if the students perceive that this is this can see directly how that ties into um, that that the support material helps them move forward. So, for example, if there is a particular way of modeling, uh, let's say in mechanics, the motion of something, there's some aspect of describing that motion, and in particular how we want to go about describing that in a computational format. How do you express that in, in let's say, Python? Um, that those sorts of videos are ones that get looked at a lot because they say, okay, I've got this. It's similar to that. I need to figure out how do I do that. Let me look at this. Um, so it, you know, just a suggestion. If the demonstration is, it, it's it's kind of a good. I would say it's a way to see whether, um, at least the students from their student perspective, whether the material you're presenting to them is something they perceive as something that's important for them to move forward uh, to complete the work. All right, thank you. Right, I think to add to add to that would be, I think your high level idea is that uh, videos that we will want students to watch, if there's some relations to what they do, for example, in their assignments or in their project, and those tend to be uh, most helpful. And so if there's not currently not like a direct link, and then an easy way, concrete way would be to actually add some of the quizzes. So, so Canvas, again, can do that pretty easily. You have like a question bank of, um, of uh, yeah, we call it question bank, and those can be multiple choice or true or false choices. And uh, to make that less stressful uh, for students, instead, oh wow, I now need to watch video and now they'll do this test. 
quizzes. Um, quizzes. Um, those quizzes could be like small amount of bonus points, for example, for the students. And that means that could be add on top of the like, kind of required component. And also you can have the option to choose, uh, let's say if there are like three quizzes that you have in mind, you can say, okay, well only the top two out of the three will be counting. So that further re uh, reduce the, the impact or the stress so that there's motivation for them to watch the video and also to do the quizzes as kind of knowledge check, but at the same time, they don't feel very pressured. Um, so the quiz approach, I've been doing that for both my uh, campus class, even in person, and also for the online OMS classes as well. So, and it turned out that the, the, the feedback has been pretty positive. My students do have the motivation that, oh, okay, that's, that's good. I now get some bonus points, so I can help out with some of the assignments and other things. And, and yeah, so that seems to be helpful. Okay. So we've um, heard from all of the groups. Um, there was a question in chat earlier about um, from Emily Weigel who wanted to know we're moving into summer now um, and those classes are going to be completely taught online but they weren't designed to be taught online. So does anybody have any thoughts about managing student expectations for this you know learning experience now which is going to be even different from the experience that they just had? Yeah I, I um, think um just being upfront about it i think it's fine to say um look we know this is a different situation for you it's a different situation for us too and we're going to just do our best to teach you what you need to know and if if anything goes wrong if if we do anything that that if we did it a different way would be more helpful just let us know and if we can we'll try it um but we're all in this together we're all on the same side um and and uh just kind of go from there i will say from my past experience just say briefly i've taught um uh, say in this kind of like let's say online fashion to students on campus so it would be similar to the kind of the experience uh that uh, that the conversion this uh, movement to remote teaching has forced everyone into um that feels different to students when, when they have certain ideas about how it actually right now. They have had the experience in that course that you're teaching now of having the in-person. Now they have this uh, compared directly with now the on, on, online version. And there, there are, you know, there's a kind of a dissonance there they experience. Um, if they start out from scratch with it being the upfront and something similar to transparency and the, the, you know, set expectations, as Joel was saying, upfront that this is going to be fully online. It'll be different from how you will ex have experienced an on-campus course. I think you'll find, at least the experience I've had, is that students then get that, that it will be a different experience and, and their um, expectations adjust accordingly in a way which um, uh, seems to feel like things will run more smoothly. Everyone, the instructors and the students are more aligned than making a, a, a jump or a, you know, having some, their expectations be uh, something shows up that that's very different from what they would typically expect as has happened now in this uh, on on this rapid conversion this semester. Well, thank you everybody for your questions. I think that's I think we've gotten from all the groups and I don't see anything else in the chat for now. Yeah, thank you uh, panelists also for your excellent advice that you've offered. Um, so just to close it out, we might we're going to leave the room open a little bit longer for individual conversations, but just for final thoughts, do you have one final tip or important takeaway that you want to leave your colleagues who are currently teaching remotely and thinking about summer? Okay, and, I would share one. Uh, take, take care of yourself 
um, I think that's echoing some of the early comments. So um, because if we, we don't care, take care of that, we are not able to take care of our students. And a lot of times that means we want to start uh, smaller, gentle, and not, yeah, just be okay uh, with with uh, not doing everything that we want. Yeah, I think that's the number one. Yeah. I would uh, I would second that wholeheartedly. Um, yeah, don't beat up on yourself. Be good to yourself, and um, just do the best you can. Yeah, I think that's I'd say the same thing, and and go ahead and tell the students the same thing. Um, we don't expect perfection from them this time around either. They shouldn't expect it from us. And it's even though this is our job, it's probably not our highest priority, and it's not their highest priority either. And so we should all just sort of act accordingly. Well, thank you uh, once again for attending with us today. And that link is in the chat. And I've also dropped into the chat a little, you may have to scroll up just a little bit. I've dropped some links to our CETL webpage, our Keep Teaching webpage. So there's a, a lot of resources there. We're cross-referencing with um, the GotTech services site as well. So you'll find lots of resources for your remote teaching. We're also up and running on the CETL blog and we're, we're offering kind of more just-in-time tools and um, things that we've read or strategies that we see that, are, that might be important. So we're posting there very regularly too. Um, so as Vincent said, before you all go, just take a minute to fill out that uh, workshop feedback form. That's really helpful to us. As we said, this is our first webinar. Um, so we were really excited to see how that would go. And we, we thank you all for attending and participating. Um, so we, we appreciate that feedback. We thank you for all your questions and for your time this afternoon, and we hope everybody stays safe and well, and hopefully we'll see you very soon. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, panelists. Thank you, everybody. Yep. Thank Thanks. you. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay.